is what it takes to change the world. It's a good learning experience, I think, for everybody. Welcome to Season 5 and Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. My name's Andrew Zeller, and I'll be your host. When you were in high school, how much did you know about your constitutional rights? Today, we'll be discussing a unique opportunity that a group of high school students had this spring to learn about their rights alongside a University of Chicago law professor and University of Chicago law school students. And while this isn't the first time the class titled Your Constitutional Rights has been offered, there was something different this year. All of the high school students were currently incarcerated within the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice. Here with us today to discuss the class are Emily Buss, the Mark and Barbara Freed Professor of Law at the University of Chicago, and the faculty member who designed and led the class, and Heidi Miller, Director of the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice and an alumna of the University of Chicago Law School. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, Professor Buss, can you start by giving us a little background on the Your Constitutional Rights class itself? You mentioned in the introduction that it is a course that that we have offered through the law school in previous years, but in all previous years, it was a course offered to high school students who were attending one of two University of Chicago affiliated high schools. So one, the University of Chicago Laboratory Schools, and one, the, the University of Chicago's uh, charter school, the Woodlawn Charter School. And it has been offered in the law school, and it was a chance to bring high school students into the law school to learn about the study of law and to learn about their rights and also to spend time with each other because they're, they're, very, they're kids who have very, very different backgrounds. Uh, and that was really seen as an opportunity for everybody involved. And that is where the structure developed. It was basically, and I'll say more about the the, the structure of the course in a, in a bit, but that's that was a nice, uh, was an ability to use the, you know, everybody's presence on campus and to use the building and, and it made it easy to bring people together. And then when COVID-19 struck and everything was online, I have a teenager, the idea of saying we should try to get teenagers to spend more time online uh, when they're already doing that all day, seemed like a really bad idea. So I, I, I thought it was very clear that we should not be offering it in the traditional manner. But that, you know, there was a real, uh, a real uh, silver lining to that situation. Uh, and it really coincided with some conversations I had with, with Heidi Miller. And uh, it made me realize that there was a potential uh, to, to follow up on something that, that I had been interested in doing for some time, which is to offer a version of this course to young people who were in the Illinois juvenile justice system. And so, you know, it was only a downside that everything was on Zoom for for kids who usually got to learn in person. Uh, but for kids who didn't otherwise have the opportunity, they all of a sudden seemed much more much more reachable because everybody was going to be online uh, anyway, and because there were the you know the technical facilities available to engage with with young people who were in the in the Illinois juvenile justice facilities. So that led to a conversation. And I mean, I think none of this would have happened if Heidi Miller hadn't been tremendously receptive and, you know, sort of could figure out how to make it happen and, and, and offer all sorts of supports, which we can we can get into the detail of. Seemed like it, you know, it, a real amazing opportunity, but it, it really could not have happened if, if, if Heidi hadn't really engaged the system in a way that, that made it happen. So what's the general structure of the course? So, so one of the, the basic structure was to have a two-hour course that 
each week focused on a different constitutional right. And then to also have a one-on-one session where every law student was paired to an individual student, uh, high school student. And that Saturday session was a chance for their, for, for a, a one-on-one that was both a, a, a kind of processing and reflection on the class discussion that had occurred the Tuesday before and a kind of homework doing preparation anticipation section uh, discussion for the, for the next Tuesday's class. There were 10 law students and 10 high school students, and that was sort of by design in order to ensure there was a one-on-one attention. So a few of the students ended up not continuing, and that complicated the matching a little bit. But otherwise, you know, that that matching, I think, was a really important part. That meant that one law student was paying attention to the learning and the overall experience of one high school student throughout during, you know, during the, the two-hour classes, sort of paying attention to how how that was being experienced by the high school student and then having the one-on-one to really do the, the sort of the more in-depth processing and and uh, to get that more personal relationship and to and to follow up in a more detailed way on the on the learning. How did the structure work when it was in the law school? It was a similar structure, but there were like, you know, maybe I'll say a little bit more about this, the class because it's sort of useful to talk about the modifications between the two. The class that we had offered in the in the law school was only one meeting a week, but because it was in person, it could involve the different parts as part of that one meeting. So people came together. We actually gave everybody dinner. There was a kind of informal chat. And then there was a sort of opening lecture section that was that I ran, but it was, there really was some an opportunity for something you kind of call law school cold calling that went on in that first section. And then we broke into smaller groups where the law students were with their matched high school students were in smaller groups, you know, four or six people total to discuss a particular, you know, the, the, the scenario of the day, the hypothetical that after that they came together and had a group discussion at the end. So there was no separate one-on-one session, but there was a lot of opportunity for personal time. And there could be one-on-one sessions in the ways that, you know, there could be emails or there could be a you know phone conversation occasionally between classes. And those were things that couldn't happen with the, you know, working with the young people who are in the, the juvenile justice system. And so we built in the one-on-one as a way of making sure there was an opportunity for that, that, so the more sort of the, the more personal relationship building aspect of the course, and also just to to, to get more time in order to enhance the, the learning. Could you tell us more about the substance of the course? When the course was taught in the law school, it was also one right a week, and it was very focused on constitutional rights in the school setting only, because I was you know the idea was the vision was to have law that matters. So it was very focused on the school setting and student rights in the school setting. And I had actually already decided thinking I would continue teaching the course in you know the law school course in the law school that I wanted to branch out some. It was clear that students were interested in juvenile justice issues. They were interested in right to access abortion and sort of other personal choice rights and not just school-based rights. So that was sort of a direction I was interested in going anyway. And when we Heidi and I started talking and we started thinking about the material for for this group of students. It seemed even more obvious that the sort of that that the school focus was still quite relevant, but but other parts of their lives that were, you know, if we're, if we're aiming at get talking about things that matter to them, that it really should not be constrained to the school-based school-based cases. Another shift was in that when we were originally did the course, the law school, you know, present with the University of Chicago high schools, 
it was the, the format was to have one edited case that they read for every class and then a scenario that they prepared that was sort of the hypothetical that they talked about in the small group. And it was my judgment that had to be made in advance because we needed to sort of sharp, you know, work out the written materials in advance. But it was my judgment that it was more important to ensure that the high school students had an opportunity to really engage the principals that lay behind these rights than it was to really get into the detail of what it means to read a case, which I thought was going to be kind of distracting and, and uh, sort of almost a kind of a beside the point. And I, I assumed, and Heidi can say more about this, that the students would be at a whole range of reading levels. And that the last thing we wanted to do is have this become something where some of them looked at the case and said, well, this is really kind of confusing. And I should say, you know, there are many things to say about the value for me and for the law students about sort of teaching high school students about their rights. But one of the things I think one notices right away when one's thinking about you know, t- teaching this this material to anybody, <laughs> it, but any anybody who is a high school age, maybe more particularly, is you know, cases are not clear, crisp presentations of the law, not nearly, you know, right? And and they're and of course we sort of enjoy we're law students, we enjoy our lawyers, we enjoy the puzzling and you know, sort of working at, but but they're you know, there's a lot of kind of almost what you'd call bad writing in the sense that they're, you know, discursive and they never quite get to the point and they say everything in the negative and you're think, and when you think about sort of a learning experience, you're exposing, you know, high school students for the first time to this material, there's a certain trade-off. Like if you really want to teach them about reading a case, you're you're actually in in a funny way diminishing their engaging in the kind of core principles to some extent, right? You can't, you can't, be teaching both of those things in a two hour period and do both well, right, I think, or it's hard to. And so early on, my sense was, you know, we're gonna have two hours a week and then the one-on-ones, we really want them to have an opportunity to engage the principals. So what does that mean? It means they get a very summarized, you know, the ideas behind some of the cases. If there's a standard art that's articulated, sort of capture that standard try to cover a little bit of that in the in the lecture, but then make sure that the discussion can really get to the principles. So it really changed, I think, how we thought about framing the classes and how the class material was presented. And notice I switched from I to, to we because that was an important shift. I mean, early on, it was me thinking in my office with some back and forth with Heidi and with Dr. Dunbar, who's the superintendent for the school system within Illinois General Justice and a couple others who were involved and just sort of kind of brainstorming, but as soon as the course was underway, it was very much a collaborative thinking process with the, with the law students, which was a really important part of how the case, the course was built as we went through the quarter. So I think that goes to an important point. So there's a value proposition for the high school students that you've spoken to. And I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about what the goals and the hopes for, for what the high school students take away from the course. But then also, what are the goals and the takeaways for the law students that participate? I mean, I will speak partly aspirationally for the high school students and let Heidi say more about what her sense is about what the experience was, and both aspirationally, and I think, you know, I have some real data on the experience for the law students. So many goals for the high school students, you know, some of them are kind of the more straightforward to, you know, expose them to sort of help them learn about the Constitution and particularly about constitutional rights, both as a kind of you know, sort of understanding the sort of substance of those rights, but also kind of understanding the process of how rights are identified and how they are enforced or not enforced and 
introducing them to the idea that everybody, you know, as a rights holder plays a role in protecting their rights by asserting them. And so that was sort of, you know, basic law teaching and some ideas behind that, how the Supreme Court's role in articulating and developing rights and sort of things, some some sort of governmental structure ideas that come from that. But that's only part of the goal, right? A, a big part of the goal was offering a learning experience for, for young people who are intelligent, who have had a very, very challenging road so far in terms of their whole life experience, certainly in terms of their opportunities for education. That has a profound impact on how they see themselves and how they see their potential in the future. I mean, how they see their, you know, what could lie ahead for them. So part of the idea was to engage them in a meaningful way, to engage their brains in a meaningful way where they would see their abilities and would appreciate the value of being engaged in those kind of conversations. So it's both personal, it's meaningful about, you know, who am I in this in this world, in this government structure, and also what are my potential futures? Is this something I actually, I find interesting? This is something that matters. People care about what I have to say, and I get better at it by doing it. And so sort of it's, I see it partly just as an investment in that process. It's one small investment, right? This is, this is you know, they have whole lives and we were involved in a relatively small amount of time. But, but the idea is to offer them an opportunity to, to, to have an experience that would might change how they see themselves or see, change how they see their opportunities. So that was a big goal for the young people as well. On the law student, and I, it's not just the law student, so I got to say it's, it's personal as well. So the value for us. So what I would say, us, we learners about law, which is an ongoing process, lifelong process. The value, so there's just many things. I'll sort of start by backing up and saying sort of what I like to think about and how I see that as a value for law students, which is, you know, I, I focus a lot on children's rights and not just constitutional rights, but including children's constitutional rights. And I care a lot about how young, you know, what how do are young people shaped in their understanding of sort of what does it mean to be a rights holder? What are my rights? And what and what is that shaping? Does it matter? Does it not matter in terms of how we grow up to exercise or not exercise our rights, to protect other people's rights and respect other people's rights or not? What is the experience and understanding as we grow up? What effect does that have on the world of adult citizens that we shape? So I'm generally interested in that question in all kinds of contexts. So one of the things that really matters is how do young people think about these things? And that was sort of how, to, how what, what is important? How do they understand things? How do they tie it with their life experience? And so I always am interested in that for my own work. And as someone who teaches law students about children's rights, it's very easy. Everybody comes with tremendous assumptions about how, about children. We've all been a child and we, you know, we tend to be quite reductive and fairly sentimental about how we think about childhood and that and the, there's an experience of growing up, but we are pretty out of touch with it once we grow up, right? And so the idea of being a little bit le- less out of touch, a little closer to the experience of the very people whose rights we are talking about, seems to me, is a huge value for any law student or lawyer who's interested in thinking about children's rights. So that's a kind of pure pedagogical, like, let's not get detached from who we're talking about and how this plays out kind of, you know, which is a piece of why I'm interested in doing this. I also think there's no better way to learn about law than to try to teach it to other people, right? I mean, I think I saw this again and again with the law students sort of thinking about the challenges of how you sort of 
you know, respond and how you urge an argument on or you know, is your own understanding grows if you're thinking about how to teach someone else. So that's a huge value as well. But there are also, you know, as I was saying with the high school students for the law students, sort of huge values that go beyond sort of the most classic pedagogical value. There are many people at the law school, many law students who care a great deal about connecting and supporting communities and doing more than just, you know, going out and establishing a, a career and, you know, putting up a shingle and making money. There are many people who want to do more with their own time and skills. And I think that it was in that way, just offering a very meaningful experience for, for law students who have an opportunity to to provide a, an opportunity for others, uh, and I and I know from people's comments who were involved in the course that that's just part of part of the value. Whatever else was going on, they had an opportunity to build build a relationship with someone who could teach them a lot, but also who they they felt someone they wanted to to find ways to support. I mean, I think one of the things that was really striking about people's this law students' reflections by the end of the class is that. Everybody carries a special care and worry for the person that they were working with because they were, you know, just sort of saw the circumstances in which these kids were living and were going to be expected to live when they were done with their time at, at, in Illinois Juvenile Justice and, and saw how, how difficult their lives were going to be and how much potential these kids had having had these really fantastic conversations with them about laws, which, you know, some of the law students said, these are some of the best conversations I've ever had about some of these, some of these issues since I've been in law school, but recognizing the sort of juxtaposing the tremendous potential of these, of these young people and the just tremendous hurdles that they were going to have to overcome to have, you know, happy and successful lives. So, Director Miller, what were your thoughts when Professor Buss first reached out to you about doing this unique format for the class? I was really excited uh, when she reached out to me. I I was really all pretty much in from the get go. I was both excited as a former student of Professor Buss and an alum of University of Chicago Law School, but also. It's been really part of my personal mission to try to bring as many opportunities into DJJ for the kids at DJJ as possible. And I really felt like this was a great chance for our kids to have this experience, this potentially transformative educational experience to learn something about the law. I thought they would be really, really interested in the subject matter. And I also thought, you know, truth be told, I also am always trying to find ways to change the narrative about the kids in the system. And I felt like this is a great opportunity for folks who are about to embark on legal careers to maybe think about our justice system and about the people who are part of the justice system a little bit differently. You've been leading the charge to reform juvenile justice in Illinois. Could you give our listeners a brief sense of where IDJJ has been, where it is now, and the direction it's heading? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a long story. Really, DJJ actually was part of the adult uh, Department of Corrections initially in Illinois until 2006. And in 2006, advocates, business leaders, legislators really finally successfully lobbied and pushed to separate DJJ out from adult corrections. At the time, you know, most states were moving in that direction. And as of now, actually, there are only two or three states remaining where 
juvenile justice systems are still part of adult correctional systems. And the, the, the impetus behind that was really both the changing and emerging concept of brain development and youth culpability, and in particular, you know, the, the, the trio of uh, Supreme Court cases that sort of laid out that youth are categorically less culpable, although, you know, most recently, there seems to be a reversal, of course, on that, but also growing awareness at the local level, growing sort of understanding of brain development and this understanding that youth are really categorically different from adults. Their brains are different. They need something different than adults need to be healthy and functional. And, and, you know, we have this unique opportunity with young people because in this period of adolescence, their brains are more elastic than any other time in life, except for the birth to three uh, period. So you both have brain development that suggests less culpability and also a, a really narrow window of opportunity to really help people change their thinking and activate new neural pathways with opportunities. So all of that really pushed towards kind of a a new vision for juvenile justice, but uh, that I would, you know, I like to call it, we were really in a deep hole, a deep hole that was really, I think, driven by systemic racism and by this sort of super predator myth in the 90s, um, which is rooted in racism, that really had sort of exploded the juvenile population and caused this shift towards an adultification, towards a really punitive model. So we were in this deep hole in 2006 when we separated, and really the Department of Juvenile Justice has been trying to claw our way out of that misguided hole ever since. Along the way, we have definitely stumbled In 2012, DJJ was sued by the ACLU for essentially violation of the Eighth Amendment for failing to meet constitutionally required minimum levels of care, minimum levels of education, minimum levels of mental health treatment. And so we entered into a consent decree. We executed a remedial plan in 2014, really actually we signed it two days before I came on to DJJ. And that was kind of my job description to to start to try to address those issues in the remedial plan. And that really covered everything from, you know, conditions in our facilities to the treatment we were providing to the education we were supposed to be providing that we were not providing. And I, you know, just some stark examples. When I first arrived, we had kids spending months in confinement, solitary confinement. We had kids who were confined so much. uh, I remember we had one young man who was confined so much that he chewed a hole in his own arm. We had just, in some places, kids weren't going to school at all. We were really failing to meet kids' needs. And it it was cruel. So through that, we've really worked hard to try to you know, just really change, not just, you know, meet the requirements of of the remedial plan, make sure kids get school every day, make sure kids get special education services if they need them, make sure kids are getting mental health treatment if they need it, make sure that we're offering, you know, robust developmental opportunities for the young people in our care. But also, we really are trying to shift our focus you know, in the way that Professor Buss kind of talked about to really think about 
a, a youth perspective, a developmental perspective, and really kind of anchor our work in what is it that all human beings need to grow and to thrive and to become safe and healthy adults. And so what we're trying to do is infuse into our system those developmental opportunities, that viewpoint and that framework that really lays a foundation for what all of us need to grow into safe, healthy, and productive adults. And particularly for our kids who've experienced so much trauma and and, and so many barriers and difficulties in their lives, what additional layers of sort of trauma-informed care do we need to put in place to help restore them, to help them heal so that they can then take advantage of developmental opportunities and move forward in life. That's been the mission and where we are, we have really been pretty successful. We are nearly at the end of our consent decree. We've reached substantial compliance in almost all areas. We're getting close to terminating federal monitoring in a number of areas. And we actually announced in July of 2020 with Governor Pritzker and Lieutenant Governor Stratton a plan to totally overhaul the system, the juvenile justice system over the next four years, really permanently shift away from a punitive adult model and really shift towards a model that is community-based where kids are closer to home, closer to their community of origin and able to really develop the important developmental positive relationships that they need to navigate the real world when they return to it and to be able to be safe and be able to sort of be successful as they navigate that world. So how does a program like the Your Constitutional Rights class fit into that direction? Enriching the educational opportunities for kids, giving them more exposure to different fields and different ways of thinking. I think there's a few things. First of all, just academically, it provides, you know, a new experience, a new opportunity. I would love to expand this class and eventually morph it into an opportunity for kids to earn college credit, if we can ever work that out with the University of Chicago. But, you know, our kids are, since we've really taken on improving education at DJJ, we've actually vastly increased the number and percentage of kids in our in our system who have graduated from high school. And so those kids actually oftentimes have had such negative experiences with school before that they never really saw education as a path for themselves. And once they they actually find that they're successful at it, that they that they're able to achieve graduation, that they actually are getting some positive feedback and some reinforcement for their intelligence and for their educational work, they start to get hungry for more education. And they start to see themselves as having an identity of a student and potentially someone who is going on in life to learn more. So this really fits into that. We want kids to have this experience of, hey, this is for me. I belong here. I belong in these kinds of opportunities and I can hang, I can do it and really awake their kind of intellectual curiosity and their educational motivation. But the other thing is, you know, it's really about valuing. For me, this class was also about valuing their lived experience and sort of understanding and giving them an opportunity to 
educate law students about, you know, this is what the law says on paper, but this is what my experience was. And those things don't match a lot of the time. And so what are we going to do about that? You know, are we going to, we're going to, we're going to understand that that exists. What are we going to do about it as lawyers? So how did it go? It was great in state systems, in any system, things can be really difficult. And we are used to sort of being in this constant state of like this morning when none of my technology worked, where things don't work, a door closes, we have to find a window. We, we are in this constant state of battling a lot of forces that seem to sort of make it difficult to do anything innovative. And so we sort of expected we would have, you know, some bumps and we did. I think from a just logistic standpoint, it was hard sometimes coordinating the staff to make sure that kids were getting to the class. You know, sometimes it was difficult coordinating technology. We had some technology issues. We actually had to have our contractual IT support person on call all the time to support the class, which is unusual. Usually we, you know, we don't have that level of engagement from her, but she got you know, another, I'll just say as an aside, another like benefit to this was she got really excited. She became totally in love with the mission of DJJ because of this class. And so now she's, if I'm being honest, she's working harder to try to help us address the issues that we have. And she wants to sort of permanently become our IT support person. I think overall, the kids loved the class. All of the kids that I talked to said that they learned something. They really enjoyed the one-on-one time with the students. They really enjoyed the learning aspect. And I really saw that they had a sense of pride being part of an educational community with the University of Chicago Law School. I think that they felt really proud that they were able to do that. And I think we do have... Now, two students who have said that they're interested in law as a pathway. So I think that's really great. I think the last thing I'll say is, I think one of the challenges for some of our kids was that the experience highlighted for them ways in which their own rights were violated. And a lot of our kids have had lived experience that is really traumatic at the hands of the system whether it's law enforcement or judge or a state's attorney or, you know, even their public defender in the system or the experience they've had incarcerated. Almost every right that we learned about, a number of kids recognized ways in which that right was not protected and ways in which that right was violated. And that was really emotional for some kids. You know, I had kids say to me that they didn't know about these rights. And they, they felt like they should have known, they should have been taught at a younger age. And if they had known, they would have fought to protect those rights more. So I think the experience of kind of trying to academically wrap your mind around the lessons while you're having this very intense and raw emotional experience of recognizing that your rights have been violated And, you know, kind of figuring out how to express that in the confines of a class, that was a little challenging. But I think in the end, at least on the DJJ side, we thought it was was really worthwhile and it was really a positive experience. Yeah, I would would just sort of jump in and sort of echo and and reflect so much of 
what Heidi said. I mean, it was said sort of starting with the question, how did it go? I would say it was, I think it went really well. It was really hard. And that's part of why it was such a good experience. I mean, it was such a valuable experience for the law students. There was a way you could imagine, oh, isn't that great? You're doing this thing. Come on, we, you know, it was, I mean, every step of the way was hard and it was hard in lots of different ways. And I'll sort of maybe identify some of them, but I do think a huge amount of the value for those of us on this learning end, the law school learning end was very tied in with all the things that made it hard. I mean, I was just going to say briefly on the technical part. I mean, I did say when I had to make sure that we had the right number of law students to match with the right number of high school students. So we couldn't have a kind of casual enrollment. And so early on, I needed sort of people to say, yes, I am totally committed to taking this class. And one of the things I said is you have to be ready to be incredibly flexible. Nothing is going to go according to plan. We're going to have to make changes all the time. And it's going to ask a lot of you in a different kind of way. And if that's going to bother you, don't be in the course because that's just going to be part of it. So I feel like the students came in really understanding that. And it, and it was important because of what you said, Heidi, about the technological challenges. But we had amazing technological back. I mean, it was really striking that the contract IT person and your programs person uh, were always available. I mean, I had their I had their numbers and I texted them on on uh, several Saturday mornings, right? So this was a real all in support that we got. I think Heidi, thanks to the sort of the the you know the willingness of everybody to sort of you know the eagerness to support this. But it made it couldn't have happened otherwise because you know we had. We were not on Zoom, we were on WebEx, and we had to sort of learn how to do that. And there were there were some kind of clunky features associated with that. And it was, you know, there were some difficulties that lasted, like the, some of the some of the rooms where the kids were speaking, it was harder to see and hear them than others and things like that. But but the the responsiveness on all issues, but including those important technological issues, uh, was really great. The bigger sort of need to be flexible, need to respond that sort of mattered more than the technological stuff on our end was really tied with what you were talking about, Heidi, with the fact that this was so personal for them. And that obviously was something that they were teaching to the law students, you know, and a huge learning value for the law students. But it presented a special challenge in teaching. And how do we the law school, we can be callous in a certain kind of way. We're in the classroom thinking about kind of playing around with issues, you know, devil's advocate, this, that, and the other thing. We have not lived lives where these things have directly had an effect and a really harsh, sometimes brutal effect on our lives. And this was really engaging students on these issues, men engaging this and figuring out how to be effective and supportive when students among other things, wanted wanted to share or maybe didn't want to share, but were thinking about their own life experience was was a real challenge. I mean, we're, some of the, the law students had had teaching experience, some had not. And for all, this was a different kind of teaching experience and figuring out how to kind of make the right kind of space for that personal experience was really challenging. And, you know, halfway through, we had a conversation with you, Heidi, and I think that was really helpful for all of us because, on the one hand, we knew that we were not going to be, we were going to be doing a disservice to the high school students if if we turned it into only, let's just talk about your experience. That's like, that's really interesting for us. It's quite interesting for us and, and matters and we care, you know, but it's, they're getting less out of it, right? They're getting less if that's all that they're having an opportunity to do is talk about their own experience. But on the other hand, it was so important and so relevant and so delicate. It wasn't something to be sort of compressed and, you know, put aside either. And so I think learning how to engage engage that, their personal experience, but also helping them to be able to think more abstractly, among other things, about sort of, okay, so what does the world look like when it works right? Okay, well, how do we think about 
how to structure law in a way that's meaningful so that enforcement occurs, those kinds of questions that we wanted to sort of help build their thinking about, but again, not squashing their their really, really important personal experience, I think was was really challenging. So I think my sense from the, the, the law students were reflecting twice a week, they were writing written reflections after every class and after every one-on-one session. So I, I had a sense of where they're their heads were. And I think this was something that they were really importantly working on and sometimes struggling with, which is how to find that balance between making really validating the real life experience of the high school students, but also sort of offering something in terms of the kind of learning about law. I think it's really valuable for all of us to have these learning experiences that are not totally scripted and orchestrated. And, you know, that's, that certainly was this a couple examples where I think the law students felt like I'm the learner here. Maybe the most dramatic early example of this was when we were talking about the Second Amendment and the law students, you know, it was a range of views, I think. And we, the class was thought about what do the law school students personally feel about things. But a lot of the law students went in with a pretty strong gun control, narrower view of, you know, what the Second Amendment really ought to cover kind of attitude, that sort of a position. And really, 201, the the high school students emphasized the importance of guns for self-protection and for protection of family members. And so there was a early on the discussion, sort of a disconnect between, you know, maybe where where the law students expected the high school students to be, but certainly sort of where they're thinking about sort of how do we engage a conversation where the high school students were all pretty adamant about the importance of being able to possess firearms. One of the things that we wanted to do was help students think about two sides of an argument and sort of the challenge of doing that in a context where the high school students knew that their life experience was so completely different than ours. And they really felt like it was extremely important, among other things, to tell us the truth about what life what their lives were like. And one of the things that was, I think, was striking in that in the in the context of that is that it became clear pretty quickly, I think, at least, you know, when I was sort of observing the small group sessions at a little bit of a distance, that a basic idea that the the high school students were presenting was very much in line with a primary criticism of the gun control movement, which is that's all about regulated firearms. And most of the firearms that are doing the work are not you know, part of the regulated market. And so whatever you do in the regulated market isn't going to really make a difference if what you're really trying to do is cut down on sort of the violence that they were experiencing in their lives, because that's not, that had nothing to do with where those guns were coming from. And so another sort of disconnect was that the the gun control discussion that we focus on in the law school context tends to be very much on these mass shootings. The person who opened fires with a semi-automatic in a school obviously very serious and very troubling, but that's not how most people are dying from guns, right? And these young people were much closer to how many more people were dying from guns. And that gun story was a story that it was much more difficult to touch and and, and regulate through any kind of gun control that's been proposed. I mean, I think every single law student after the after our discussion of the Second Amendment said, I was learning much more than I was teaching. And I'm kind of, I really have to think about this again. And I have to at least realize that this is not an issue where we sort of line up in our, you know, on our teams. We all know our the, the right answer because of what team we're on, you know, not at all, or we're not on the same team for this, or it's just, it's just much more complicated in a way, I think that was really, really very valuable for the law students just to, to you know, it was eye-opening. That's a great example. One of the things that I thought summed up the experience really well and was actually really beautiful the last day when they were sort of talking about their thoughts about the class, the high school students were. And 
the kids articulated that some of the high school students articulated that they felt like they had played a part in teaching law students and from their perspective, helping law students become better lawyers. And I thought that was wonderful because that is part of the goal. And what that showed me was that this class was really successful in valuing the experience of our kids the way that I wanted it to. I wanted this to be a situation where they were getting some educational benefit and learning about their rights and activating their brains. But I also wanted it to be an experience where they felt like they also had value add and something to to contribute um, and to be reinforced in that way. And they definitely, that showed me that it, it, it happened that way. They both received information and felt they learned something and also you know, engaged and also felt like they had value add in the class, which was perfect. And I also loved at the end, a couple of the kids on the DJJ side started encouraging each other and saying, you're really smart. You you said smart things, like you did great in this class, you keep going. For me, it's always an example of, I am constantly amazed by the kids in the system and their just capacity for compassion and hope really pro-social things in the face of such, you know, just getting chewed up by life and still, still coming with all this compassion and encouragement for each other. It's always like inspiring to me. And I thought this class enabled that. I think the, another example is just the, the way that kids prioritized or ranked their rights was not exactly how I expected it. Um, you know, they went through essentially the Bill of Rights and what they would prioritize and what they wouldn't and kind of hearing their perspectives about, you know, what were the most important. So one thing that was really striking to me is that the most highly ranked, if you look across students and from the beginning to the end, was the right to free speech, which I found incredibly sort of heartening. It's like what it's sort of however different life experience is, you know, that and and however much closer they have been and sort of it's mattered. Some of these other rights have mattered more in their own lives, you know, in terms of their own personal experience, this sort of foundational idea that, that everyone's, you know, should have a protected right to say what they believe um, uh, was, you know, really firm held strongly across students. And I, I just found that, you know, really sort of uh, hopeful. And I agree. It's it, the way it struck me initially is just like, it's very American. Like we are all yeah, American. Yeah, 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 despite right. despite our very vastly different life experiences, we all have grown up in this culture and freedom of speech is such a central tenet of American culture. What would you do differently on the next go around? We learned a ton and there are a lot of things to do differently next time. One is right on the top of my list, if at all possible in person, reading people, having a sense that just the kind of engagement that communicates, you know, caring and interest, it's just much harder to do that. And I think the value of being able to do this in person would be huge. On the substantive level, I would do some topic change. We learned a lot about what matters to the high school students and what works in the kind of now let's do a hypo to really play around with this format. So I was thinking afterwards, I think we should have had a, a, a class on religious rights because a number of these kids, I mean, we learned about some of them earlier than others, but a number of these kids are pretty seriously religious and some of them have uh, converted uh, recently. In, in the past with the high school students who were the, you know, in the University of Chicago affiliated uh, schools, 
Um, we, we did talk some about religion, but I also felt like it was a little bit like for a lot of them talking about somebody else's issue. This would not have been somebody else's issue for these kids. And so I would be interested in adding that topic. I think I would want to think about, you know, what other topics. We were surprised by how interested that, that the kids were about parental rights and procreative rights. And so we were able to make sure we added, you know, we had a section on that. We sort of figured out that it was something that really mattered to them. But that kind of kind of took me by, by surprise. It's a bunch of, you know, high school guys who, some of whom are fathers already, and all of whom have thoughts about fatherhood. <laughs> And because this class had one uh, young woman and all the other uh, participants were young men. So that ended up being a topic that I would think we could really develop. So that's just in terms of the materials. I think this numbers issue, it's a big challenge, right? Sort of you, it's so important that everybody in the law school is matched with an individual student. But of course, I mean, we celebrated when one of the students could go home. We're not going to say that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's hard to figure out. That's just an ongoing challenge. How do you make the class work? You know, it really changes the experience. And we're also, of course, as a teacher, I'm trying to have a balanced experience for all the law students. So just figuring that piece out with the necessary unpredictability of the students' lives is, I think, an ongoing challenge. And also, we would have just, you know, we can do a lot more with the the curricular piece. There was a reading piece and then videos that we assigned sort of on a weekly basis that was heavily driven by the law students who were, you know, masters at sort of searching for and then discussing amongst themselves which videos would make the most sense and would, you know, the kind of the trade-off and value and risks associated with the videos and the like. But that was all done kind of on the fly. I mean, the written materials very much on the fly because I was hoping to be able to develop those materials as we went to sort of learn what was working and how much was the right amount of reading and that sort of thing. But it became clear that it was really important that all the written materials would be given to the high school students at the beginning. And it wasn't easy to get like in the, you know, the course taught in the law school, I could just, you know, print things out and give the hand them out in class every week. And we couldn't do something like that. So we, you know, I had to make initial decisions about what that reading looked like without, you know, kind of going blind about how things would play out. So, I mean, I think they worked pretty well, but I would definitely make changes. Yeah, I think what Professor Buss is talking about also kind of highlights the barriers in the system to being able to do this or or a lot of things. You know, you sort of wouldn't think about because in a typical student experience, you have access to, you know, the internet or things that you need. And for example, even the videos, in order to have the kids be able to get the materials or see the videos, we had to have some staff person who had access to the internet to be able to print things out to find the young people, find a time to get them to a computer that wasn't firewalled so that they could actually access the video, spend time viewing it. There's just so many challenges to even that. So what lessons do you think others can take away from the program? And do you think other law schools should do something similar? And what what advice would you give them? Hopefully, one of the things that law students and people who study the law take away from this experience is also just, is this system the right thing for us to be doing? With all these barriers, with these young people that we are seeking to rehabilitate, if we are saying that that's what the system's about, this opportunity to really enhance their education and help them grow academically And all the barriers that the system presents to just giving kids an opportunity to have sort of a normal educational experience, all the things that cause the law students worry at this point about what they've experienced or what they're going to experience. Truly, at the end, I think one of my hopes is that people take away from it, wait, why are we we doing 
doing it this way? Is this the way we should be doing it? And that's part of the transformation that I talked about earlier, but it is also part of my personal mission and hope for people coming into the system that they start to reevaluate how we, we try to accomplish helping young people who have come in conflict with the law move onto a productive and safe path. There's that really big lesson, which I agree. I hope it's sort of yeah, like the, this is made so cumbersome. My life before teaching law was as a lawyer in the child welfare system. And it was just sort of the same idea. It's just like, you know, how difficult it is to get some really important things done, whatever it is, keeping families connected, keeping it, whatever. One of the things you want people to take from the experience is really, do we have to do it this way? I totally agree with that. But the other lesson, which is along the way, here we are. I really care that the students have a sense that in the short run, don't do this in a half-assed way. If you're gonna, if you're committed to doing it, it it means you're taking your Saturday. It means you are staying on that call, hoping things are gonna work out for 45 minutes if you don't and you don't know if they're gonna work out or not to talk to somebody. And or we could say many, many times over, okay, this is a problem. How do we correct it? Or can we still make this work today? We're having this the, the following problem. Or I know he said he wasn't coming, but we'll wait or, you know, whatever it was. I, I mean, that's, I hope, also a lesson learned. In the short run, don't do it half-assed. And I appreciated that very much. I do want to say that this, no, none of the students did it half-assed. They all committed. And that's so important. It was important to us, important to the kids. And on the macro level, that is what it takes to change the world. <laughs> If you're going to really try to dig in and make some change, you have to hang through a lot of difficulty. It's a good learning experience, I think, for everybody. Part of the story is you don't stay committed through a bunch of hassles unless there's something that you see that is, you know, you hope is a value that is going to come, but also that you're kind of engaging in a different kind of way. And that's what you hope is that everybody who's being asked to do more is also feels like, I also like what I'm doing so much more because, you know, this makes sense or this matters or I'm having a connection I didn't otherwise have. I've actually thought about over time thinking about trying to develop a curriculum that would be more sort of an established curriculum with a sort of the equivalent of a teacher's manual that would be available for people to use in other teaching contexts, which might be primarily law schools, but maybe other contexts as well. So I, I think absolutely, yes, I think it would be, I think it's a great experience. I mean, I think a lot of the law students felt like it was something they got things out of this class they didn't get out of other parts of law school and they really cherished the opportunity to, to have been involved. But don't do it half-assed. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's really a truly, a, I think, does harm to kind of purport to be doing something like this and then to only partly show up for these young people. And so it's easy to do some version of that where you sort of have something and it's sort of because of all the logistics it's no particular person's fault, but in fact, or half the classes get canceled or, you know, half the kids aren't there. And that, that does its own kind of harm. I mean, I really think that one of the things I carried with me from my days representing children in the child welfare system is that, you know, this importance of being there for them every time they expect you to be there. And when, when you can't follow through on that, whether it's your own fault or the fault of a system that just doesn't let it happen, you're doing harm. So that's that would be the only qualification. Otherwise, I say absolutely everybody should do this. And as I very much would sort of join Heidi's thought, it is an important piece of giving insight that will help us all recognize how we need to change how this whole system operates. Yeah, I fully agree. I would encourage any 
a, a law school or a system to to do something similar. I think this is a great opportunity and experience on both sides. I fully agree that it you can't half-ass it. But I think on the flip side of, of what Professor Buss is saying about really how important it is to show up and be committed and how harmful it can be to not do that, on the flip side of it, I think what's great is that, especially for our kids, the showing up part is kind of the most important part. And you don't have to be super cool. You don't have to be, you know, any particular way, as long as you're just coming sort of with genuine intention and you're showing up consistently, the kids really value that. And so I think what I find in my experience and what I saw with this class is they really appreciate you know, I think sometimes I've heard people say like coming into our system, they can be a little intimidated by the kids or they feel like, oh, what are they going to be like? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to want to develop a relationship with me? And what I find is actually almost much more so than kids I've worked with in high schools out in the community. They kind of see right through all the BS immediately And kind of just see, are you a genuine person and can I rely on you? And if that's the case, then I'm here and I'm going to engage with you in a meaningful way. It's an awesome thing. It's part of why I love working with the kids in DJJ so much. If you have any sort of last thoughts or or comments that that you'd want our, our listeners to know or to take away. I think this was such a valuable experience for the kids at DJJ. It seems like it was also equally valuable, if not more so for the law students. And I really would encourage law schools to really explore, if not a class, really engaging with aspects of the justice system, really engaging and exploring, getting to know the people who are involved, getting to know from their perspective how the system works, because I think it is really important for us as lawyers to really sort of grasp how our system of laws impacts different people differently. There's so much value in people who are going into the field of law kind of being able to take that information with them and just have that awareness. The only thing I would add, which is more like kind of something I meant to say when I was listing all the values that I just wanted to make sure I said, it's just that huge extra value for me teaching is just having an opportunity to do something that's so truly collaborative with law students rather than just, you know, standing in the front of the room and engaging in a conversation or, you know, maybe even more, not even doing that sometimes in the classroom. Just the, you know, how much I felt we were all working together and learning together. And for me, that was a real special value of the course I wanted to make sure to mention. This has been Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you again soon for the next episode of Briefly Season 5.